0: Welcome to Toward Wellbeing, a podcast that seeks to offer wellness information and explore solutions to well-being challenges faced by the legal community. I'm your host, Denise Permay, and I'm the Associate Director of the DC Bar Lawyer Assistance Program. We are happy you are joining us today. As a reminder, we coordinate each podcast with the Washington Lawyer Magazine issue. Using the LAP column, Toward Wellbeing, as a jumping off point for a more in-depth conversation around the column's topics. The January-February Issues column is called Cultivating Humility. And I wrote this column after being inspired by one of our Lawyer Assistance Committee members, Mr. Dick Flint. Dick is a retired intellectual property lawyer and a dedicated volunteer with the Lawyer Assistance Program. He joins me today for this podcast to explore how humility makes us better lawyers and more centered, emotionally healthy human beings. Thank you for being with us today, Dick. I really appreciate it.
1: Glad to be here, Denise. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. So I had asked you a couple of questions about your thoughts on humility. Um, And one of the first questions I had thought of and asked you was about how From your observations, how is a higher level of humility or a healthy level of humility, how is that a helpful virtue for people?
1: Well, I think that the uh, quote in your column from C.S. Lewis focuses on the key to the true nature of humility. And that quote is, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. We humans can be obsessed with self-centered fear. Fear that we're going to lose something that we already have, or fear that we will not obtain something that we don't have or that we feel like we need. And we're also consumed with the need to control events to keep those things from happening. For alcoholics, we drink to make the anxiety go away, but we also drink to make good things seem larger than life because we're afraid that the good won't be good enough. This is the maze that you discussed in your column. Self-centered fear drives us to try to constantly control our environment to ensure that we will not lose or fail to obtain, or that some minor negative event or error in our own judgment will irrevocably cause a devastating outcome. Living in the maze of self-centered fear creates anxiety and stress. Not a pleasant way to live it also makes us engage in a constant wrestling match with our own anxiety and stress. And this is a battle that we can't win. Indeed, it increases our stress. We're anxious because we fear our own anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Seeking humility by thinking less about ourselves is an antidote to self-centered fear. If we focus outwards by asking for help, by giving of ourselves to others, and by being grateful for good things in our lives that come from outside of ourselves, we can accept the fact of our anxiety rather than fight with it. And at the same time, we can turn to others for help, exercise gratitude and give of ourselves to others, which I think is the key to a calm and rewarding and stress-free serene existence.
0: Mm, that sounds good. Serenity.
1: Exactly. An example of this is my own life, was when my father was in his final illness. His lungs were failing to transmit oxygen to his bloodstream. And so the doctors put him on a respirator and they kept increasing the the pressure in the respirator to force the oxygen into his bloodstream. And it came to a point that the pressure was too great and they couldn't increase the pressure anymore. So the doctors came to our family and said, you need to make a decision about turning this respirator off. If we increase the pressure anymore, his lungs won't be able to sustain it. So my sister readily said, turn off the respirator. My wife readily said, turn off the respirator. But I was paralyzed by the thought that it was up to me whether he lived or died. And my decision as to whether to turn off the respirator would be the determining factor. I couldn't make a decision. So I asked for help. I asked my wife and I asked my sister and they said, well, go meditate about this. Go pray about it. So in the stillness of the chapel in the hospital, the thought that leapt into my brain was not my will. In other words, I was not in control of this outcome. I was not so all powerful and omnipotent that I could decide and determine whether my father was going to live or die. Once I recognized and accepted that fact, then I was able to make the decision add my decision to the other family members to turn off the respirator. And my father passed peacefully.
0: Mm, Really powerful example.
1: Thank you, Denise. Another another example from my own life and my own experience was when my stepson uh, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he, from his diagnosis to his death, was about a year and a half. I made the decision that my job was to give up myself 110% to my wife during this period and to be there for her no matter what she needed, I would be there for her. And by doing that for an extended period of time on a very intimate basis, I experienced a tremendous degree and level of serenity in my life. And I was not of my own doing, it just, it just occurred. And I think that this is a, it's a good example of getting out of myself And how that would be applicable to other people with with anxiety uh, and in recovery to get away from the self-centered fear. Yeah. Another outgrowth of humility is the conscious exercise of gratitude. I think if we get up each morning and we consciously become grateful for the things that have been given to us from outside of ourselves, by grace, if you will, did that, again, Enables us to get away from our self centered fear and get away from our selfishness uh, and, and become peaceful and joyful and uh, serene.
0: Yeah, practicing gratitude has been shown to increase overall happiness levels and increase uh, a feeling of connectedness and emotional well being. So, it's most psychologists recommend a daily practice of gratitude, of, of noting things that we're grateful for. So, that's a great point. Why do you think lawyers sometimes struggle with a lack of humility or operate from an unconscious level, what I'm going to call an unconscious level of arrogance, uh, sort of a, an assumption that I can handle anything and I don't need help. I'm not like mere mortals, you know, non, non-lawyers out there. Like I, I can do all this, I can handle it all, and I don't, I don't need help. What, why do you think lawyers struggle with that?
1: Well, I think it comes down to outcomes again because we're trained to be problem solvers. We're consumed with the belief, uh, which is somewhat egotistical, that we control outcomes, our cases, our reputations, our careers, our prestige in the legal community, and on and on. We rejoice in our great skills in victory, and we lament our perceived errors uh, in defeat. We think that, that we're in control of those things. We perseverate on the mistaken concept that our actions are solely responsible for all of the results in our lives. And indeed, we're taught by, by example in the legal community to portray a somewhat bold and swashbuckling, if you will, confidence yeah. uh, when, when usually we're only part of a, of a long chain of decisions that, that affect any outcome. This is not a, a free and peaceful way to live, In fact, it can be needless and and excruciating hard work. It leads to resentment, to anger, stress, anxiety, self-centered fear of not obtaining what we want or losing what we already have. Again, what we talked about in in answer to the first question. Mm -hmm. We worry about wreckage of the future, wreckage of the future that hasn't occurred and that we can't control anyway. Mm. Figuratively, we, we live with our shoulders up around our ears. Uh, because we, we are so consumed with that anxious anxiety about controlling our outcomes. And you, you might say, well, isn't this part of the practice of law? Isn't this what you have to live with if you're going to be a lawyer? It, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be that way if we can let go of this, this fallacy uh, of control and escape from this kind of egocentric, self-centered life view. Yeah, it,
0: it makes me think when, when I'm listening to you, I, I feel like many people, and of course this doesn't just apply to lawyers, but many people have this approach to feeling out of control, like like they perceive lack of control as an actual threat, a threat to themselves. You know, it's it's like the enemy, this lack of control. I mean, humans hate being out of control. And I think lawyers, lawyers kind of take that to a whole new level. Sounds like you're saying, you know.
1: We do. We feel so responsible for solving the problem that we think that that it's all uh, within our control. And that if we solve the problem, it was all about us. And if we fail to solve the problem, it was all about us.
0: Yeah. Which can then lead to lower self-esteem and a crisis of confidence. Right. Exactly. Um, How do you think people can become aware of their own level of humility if they're interested in determining, like, you know, if, I don't know if we have a baseline level of humility, but you know, we meet people who are more humble, we meet people who are less humble. What do you think are there clues that somebody could notice about themselves if they wanted to start looking at this and asking themselves these questions about how how humble am I and how could I get more humble?
1: That's a very good question, Didis. And I, I thought about it quite a bit. It reminds me of that, that country song, uh, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. <laughs> I think, I think one clue is is to uh, self-analyze when you're interacting with other people. Are we thinking of ourselves only and how everything applies to us? Or are we really paying attention to the to people that we're engaged with? Many times we'll, we'll be talking to someone and they'll say something and then we'll be thinking, well, gosh, do I have a similar experience? Um, how would I respond to that? We're, we're so busy drafting our response that we fail to listen uh, to the contribution that's being given to us by the person we're engaged with. I think that if we're consumed with the effect of events only on us, if when we read the newspaper, when we hear about uh, what happened to friends of ours, acquaintances, family, if we always return to ourselves and think about how this is affecting us, uh, what about if it happened to me? I think that's a clue that we're engaged again in self-centered fear. I, I believe truly that so many of our problems in life, if we trace in our behaviors, if it can be traced back to self-centered fear, if you, if you really think about it and analyze it. A third example of our level of humility, and when I say that in this context, I mean our, our ability to get out of ourselves and not be consumed with self-centered fear, is uh, fear of outcomes. Are we consumed with the fear of outcomes that haven't happened yet, uh, and that we're not in control of anyway? Mm. The solution is to be humble, do the next right thing, let the outcomes take care of themselves. Realize that we're not so powerful that we can control that. Right. I think that the the really that the path to ego reduction and to to peace really begins with the letting go of outcomes. And I like to think about it as as living with an open hand. You mm. think. When we're anxious about outcomes, and, and especially in the practice of law, and we use a lot of, uh, of our anxiety as, as a justification and a motivating factor, we're using fear as a motivator. Uh, that's a bad way to be motivated. And it causes you to live in a, in a very tight-fisted way. I, I like to think of it as, as grasping these things in a tight fist to try to control our environments it's not a good way to live so i think the living with an open hand is a good metaphor that i like to use and think about when i when i'm thinking about a clue clues to my level of humility
0: yeah no that's excellent i wonder also what do you think about trying to notice how much judging we are doing i mean it's interesting to use the word judging for talking about lawyers but because lawyers are trained to make judgments right or determinations about things, uh, right, wrong, black and white. And I wonder, though, when we turn that judging kind of lens to other people, and we start making judgments about other people, would you say that that could be a clue to somebody that if they find themselves judging other people for, for other people's decisions or actions or, you know, at literally anything could be anything, right? What they wear, how they talk, how they walk. I mean, you know, there are people who who just sort of make it a daily habit of, of judging others. Would you say that if you notice that about yourselves and you say to yourself, huh, I, I tend to make judgments about people, would you say that has, that is something to look at with regard to cultivating humility?
1: I think so. I, I think that, that, again, that we're trying to compare out of ourselves mm-hmm. as a defense mechanism for our self centered fear. At least I didn't do this. At least I'm not, I don't behave like this. At least I didn't screw that case up. Those kinds of judgmental behaviors are really traceable, I think, again, to our selfishness and our self-centeredness and our, and our fear. And if we can give to others, if we can be grateful, if we can not be afraid of outcomes, if we can just do the next right thing, let the outcomes take care of themselves, I think we can, in away way of that comparing out. Tendency and, and and really compare in and say, okay, you know, who am I in this? What 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 are my actions? And how can I make myself a better person rather than trying to raise myself up by, by being judgmental of others?
0: Right. This is just such an important topic. I think it has a huge impact on people's well-being and um, people who are who have low levels of humility. Perhaps on the surface they look like everything's going well, but I think deep inside they struggle. They struggle with with peace. They struggle with that serenity that you were talking about. It's it's a really important topic when it comes to well-being, I think. So I, I'm glad that you and I collaborated on this, on this column for this issue. Is there anything else about humility that you think is important for folks to know that we haven't touched on today or that I did not ask you about?
1: Well, I think that, that what you just said brings up an interesting concept, and that is that as lawyers – and this really applies to to alcoholics, uh, that we are egotists Mm -hmm. walking around with inferiority complexes. Yeah. Uh, We're trained to be all powerful, but we're we're always doubting ourselves and feeling like, if if truth be told, perhaps we're not as great as we would like people to think we are. My other thoughts are that uh, I really believe that the path to ego reduction is letting go of outcomes, living Mm with an open hand, as attorneys, our duty is to do our best for our clients. If we can stay in the moment and keep doing the next right thing, I think the outcomes will take care of themselves. A wise man that that I knew, who's passed on unfortunately, used to say, "The only thing you need to know about God is that you ain't it." <laughs> and I always like to think about that—that that I'm not, uh, don't have that kind of all-powerful control. I also uh, another. Wise litigator that I knew who has also passed on, unfortunately. I presented him with, with a, a set of facts one time in a case that I had. And his response was, Well, if I tried that case 10 times, I would win it six times. If you think about that, that's a recognition by him that he's not in control of the outcome. He puts on the same case with 10 different judges, maybe six of them will rule in his favor, maybe four of them won't.
0: Mm -hmm. And he isn't
1: worried about that. That's just his approach to doing the next right thing. That was what he was up to. And the outcomes would take care of themselves.
0: Yeah. And that viewpoint helps keep him humble. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And I think with a level of humility about what we can and what we cannot control, when we reach that point of humility, that's a helpful point to be at. I think that it's sort of an antidote to perfectionism, to this idea that we all have to be perfect which I think I, I mentioned in the column, because I think I, I know a lot of lawyers struggle with perfectionism. And I feel like um, humility is like a ray of sunshine in, into like a perfectionistic cloud. You know, it, it just dissipates that feeling that we we have to be perfect. We have to constantly, you know, be this shining example of perfection. And uh, I think it, it, if nothing else, this last year and a half going on two years has taught us all that there is no such thing as perfection and we all struggle um, and we all need help. And that's one of the things that you and I try to uh, put forth in the column and and also in today's conversation. And I really appreciate your time. I think these concepts are really important for people. And I welcome anyone who wants to ask more questions or discuss it or reach out to um, please reach us at the Lawyer Assistance Program. You can go find the LAP on the DC Bar website you can reach us at lap at dcbar.org. If you'd like to reach out to Dick, uh, I can forward you an email to him. Uh, we have a, a big group of volunteers to help people who are out there. So if you're listening and you want assistance with anything, you want assistance with cultivating humility, we are happy to help you on on that journey. So I want to thank everyone for listening today. Um, we will be have another podcast in another two months. And I hope everyone has a happy... A good new year.